Kids, we're so glad you're here today, and I hope you have a great time at Woodside Kids. If you'd like to join, this is an awesome time to do that. Thank you again, volunteer team and Margie and Cheryl for all that you do to help our kids know who Jesus is. And parents, thanks for all that you're doing to continue to invest, not just on a Sunday, but as you walk through the day, as you're driving to work, as you're putting them to bed, you're talking of the things of Jesus. That's what your kids need. Thanks for doing that. Worship team, thank you. Caitlin, Eric, Sarah, and you sound and audio and video dudes, thank you. Thank you. Right? You appreciate them, don't you? Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. First John chapter 3. Would you turn there, please? First John 3, if you've got your devices or your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. You know, there's another thing that's disappointing about this COVID um, pandemic. We can't have a men's retreat. It's a bummer. It'd be about this time that we start promoting it and getting guys to sign up. Early bird registration would end by the end of January, so we'd be encouraging you to save some money. Well, I can't do that this time. One of the fun things about a men's, the men's retreat, one of the things they've, they've done the last several years is the way they started it. Typically starts with a session in the chapel. Um, after Full week of work, Monday through Friday, you'd leave work a little bit early if you can, and you drive the three or four hours uh, over to the um, Cadillac area, to Timberwolf uh, Lake Lodge, and you kind of collapse into a chair uh, for chapel, and you immediately think, oh boy, and I'm going to probably fall asleep for this. But then they, 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 just as we're waiting to get started, they put these videos on the screen, and it just causes you to start belly laughing and grimacing, because and, it's a bunch of bloopers. It might be NFL bloopers with the fumbles and the interceptions and the collisions and such. It might be extreme sports where the skateboard's falling off the rail, right, or you're um, off a trampoline into the tree or the motorcycle flips or whatever, right? And so um, it, you're kind of laughing and sighing and you're grimacing and you have that thought of, man, I'm so glad that wasn't me. Sometimes I read that in Scripture, some of the bloopers, because uh, the Bible's full of them. Have you noticed? Uh, I don't know how many of you are reading through the Bible in a year. But if you're on track with me, you're kind of in that end of Genesis. And already you think, oh, what's wrong with these people? And these are the people that God chose to use to get started in this plan of redemption is revealing to the world. And you think, wow, these guys are blowing it. For all of human history, we have the record of these guys blowing it. Here's another one. All right, bloopers. Luke chapter 6, I think it is, in verse 51. The blooper of the disciples. When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people of this village did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. When his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Jesus turned and rebuked them. And you think, guys, what are you thinking? Has there been ever one time where you saw Jesus 
command fire to come down and consume people. Was there ever one time where you thought, you know, I'll bet what Jesus wants to do, he wants to destroy a whole village. Once? And so you kind of think, well, well, maybe they're just getting to know him. This is in his final season on earth. So they had spent three years with Jesus, watching him feed the hungry and heal the sick and care for the poor and, and, and speak about loving your enemies and blessing those that curse you and all these things. And, and on the way, as Jesus set his face to Jerusalem where he would give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world, they see people not accept him and they say, I know, let's call down fire from heaven. Obviously, they still had much to learn. Three years of walking with Jesus, eating with Jesus, hearing his teachings, and they still aren't fully getting it. How many of us would admit that we have a long way to go? Can you say with me, I have not arrived? Can you say, I have much to learn? <laughs> Can you say, I want to grow today? Wouldn't it be great if we walked out of here just a little bit more like Jesus in the posture of our heart? That this many people and the people that are watching on, on Facebook, that we would have this, this love for Jesus that grew today. And though maybe in our culture we see more hostility, that that wouldn't be named among us. In fact, people would say, wow, that's not the person that I knew a year ago, a month ago. A week ago. Well, you said it, so let's pray that God does it. The passage we're studying was written by one of those fire-breathing disciples. James and John, they were called the, the sons of thunder. That was their nickname. Passionate men. And you can hear it. Call down fire from heaven. Years later, God would call one of them to write Parts of the scripture, the Holy Spirit would inspire them. John would write the Gospel of John. He would write in such a way that historians would call him the disciple of love. The disciple of love, calling fire down from heaven. He kept growing to where when he wrote the story of Jesus, called the, that we call the Gospel of John, he never even names his own name. He only refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. And then, then God would call him to write 1st and 2nd and 3rd John. And 1st John is what we're studying. And we see one of the hallmark truths and concepts that he presents in 1st John is loving one another. I wonder if he had those thoughts. Wow, Lord, thank you that I'm not who I was. I thank you that your love has transformed me. And obviously there's a call in his heart to become even more loving because he keeps coming back to this thought of loving one another. Your love for God is demonstrated by your love for one another. But we've not yet arrived in that. So let's grow today. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 12, we're going to learn that we need to follow Christ, not Cain. John mentions two people, Christ and Cain, and says, you have an alternative. You can choose. 
You can follow in the ways of Christ and love, or you can follow in the ways of Cain and hate. You know that every time God gives you a call, you have an alternative route to take. Same thing, as I, I thought of that, I thought of Jonah, where God says to Jonah, rise up and go to the people of Nineveh, the Assyrians, the people that are at war with your country, and preach to them so that they can turn their heart to me. And he says, ah, that's an interesting choice, but I'll take the other way. And he took a ship and headed for Tarsus, the exact opposite direction. Anytime God calls you to something, you have an alternative route you can take. It typically looks easier. It typically looks more common. But if it's not the route that God calls you to, it's always going to come with ultimate hardship and heartache. And here's what John calls us to. He gives us two important truths. First of all, he first first says, hate takes. Hate takes. 1 John 3, verse 12. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we've passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. John says, don't be like Cain. Now, you probably know the story, but let's look at the book of Genesis and see this story of Cain. Cain and his brother Abel were children of Adam and Eve. Their little story is uh, recorded after Adam and Eve rebelled against God. They were kicked out of the garden, separated in relationship from God. Evil begins to corrupt the world at that time. And you can see it doesn't take long for heartache to hit when man tries to live outside of the authority of God. When Adam and Eve took the alternative route, instead of saying, I'm going to find my knowledge of good and evil from God, they chose to eat of the tree so they could have the knowledge of good and evil for themselves. You see how quickly destruction comes. Here's what it says. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock in their fat portions. So they had grown into adulthood. They're responsible for their own choices and their own efforts. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, for it is, its desire is for you, and you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, and Abel killed him. So here's Abel offering his sacrifice to God. And we don't have tons of details other than he gave us his firstborn of his flock. 
and it was acceptable. It was pleasing to God. Here was Cain who offered a sacrifice not pleasing. And in fact, it implies that Cain's posture of his heart and his sacrifice were not pleasing to God. And so instead of submitting to God and adjusting his ways, he took the alternative route and became envious of God's pleasure in Abel's sacrifice. So he began to resent him and be jealous of him and despise him. God steps in. We see God's grace over and over through Scripture. God's grace stepped in and warned him. He said, you're heading down a road of destruction. Sin is crouching at your door. But instead of his turning back to God, he continues his journey of anger and hatred and eventually kills his brother and feels justified in doing so. All right, that's what sin does. It causes you to get to the point where you feel justified in taking the alternative route. Where you begin to say, well, I know, that's not what it says, but this makes sense to me. Now, we could say, yeah, well, you don't be like that. Don't be like Cain. I mean, that's terrible, right? Don't you read the story of Cain and Abel and think, are you kidding me? That's horrible. Horrible. How could he get to the point where he would actually murder his brother, being so closely um, in t- timeline from the Garden of Eden? Now he's killing his brother. God never do that until we realize the words of Jesus. When he says, you've heard that it is said in the days of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Where John says, actually, it's the condition of the heart. That's what was displeasing. That's what puts you on this destructive road. John follows that up, takes the teachings of Jesus through the inspiration of the Spirit, puts it in another way and says in verse 15, he said, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. Jesus says it begins in the heart. So if you allow hatred to fester, it's the posture of murder because hatred takes, it robs, it steals, it destroys. There was some research released this past October. Um, There is university researchers uh, pressed into this reality that you've seen, this, um, this political sectarianism that is so prominent today that uh, obviously there's been various political parties in, in our democracy for since the beginning. And there's been strong feelings about those positions since the beginning of our country. But there's no doubt that the, the passion of it has has increased. And so the researchers pressed into that and, and looked at a number of different aspects of it and, and how there is what they define, they define as a growing tendency of one political group to view another as morally repugnant. So moving from disagreeing with the political uh, direction and values and principles to actually looking at another political party as morally repugnant because of a political position. The psychologists have 
utilize this term of othering to describe this growing, um, this growing repugnancy. Othering is viewing oneself better than someone else and placing the person or party into a less than category, less than moral, or less than respectable, that if allowed to continue will elevate into a viewing the other as less than human. That how could they even think of such a thing? They must have something missing in their brain. They must be less than me because I'm here and they're here, so they must be less than simply because of a, of a difference of opinion. So the goal... Once othering begins, again, according to these psychologists, the goal then of othering is to then destroy the other because they are less than, and they become a threat to the greater than. It's a scientific explanation. Uh, I probably spent too much time on it because there's too much in Scripture that's much more important than that. But I think it illustrates just this recognition in our community, in our culture, in our nation today of how hatred can fester and how it can cause us to take a position where it feels justified to have that position until we realize, I have just degraded this person. I have taken from them respectability. I've robbed them of honor. I've become blind to the good that this person has because of a difference of position. In fact, I've robbed myself of the ability to speak well of someone because of this difference. Hate takes. It robs, it steals, and destroys. And it's interesting. John then says, and you notice that the world hates us. If he says, yeah, that's, what, that's, that's part of the alternative route. Instead of taking the route of God when he says to love one another, the alternative route is not to love. And you begin to hate, and that's what the world does to us because they've rejected God. Don't be surprised that the world hates you. Interesting, this week, Open Doors released the 2021 list of the top 50 countries where it's difficult to live as a Christian. Of course, North Korea and Afghanistan lead that list again of places where your life is threatened because of following Jesus. This week, the news re AP reported on um, a, a church that was destroyed and pastors arrested in China. It reported of a church in Cuba, of a, of a home of a pastor that was uh, confiscated by authorities because the pastor was allowing worship gatherings in his house. I mean, it's happening today. It happens around the world. Don't be surprised at that. Jesus said it would happen. Sometimes we forget that. Some of you have seen, I have a, on my shelf, on my bookshelf, I have a, a brick, a charred brick that I stole um, <laughs> on a trip to Indonesia uh, years ago. We went to visit some missionary friends who were serving there, and 
on a walk two blocks from their house was the remains of a, of a church building. Or on this island in Indonesia on Christmas Eve, almost every church building, Christian church building, was torched and destroyed. And it was moving to me, and I took that with me to remind me that this is real, that this is a real experience of Christians around the world. And I can't forget that because they're brothers and sisters with me. This passage is saying to me, don't let that brick simply tell you that there's other people suffering. Let this brick tell you that this is where you go if you allow the alternative to rule your life. Hatred instead of love. When I begin to degrade other people because of a difference of opinion, when I allow bitterness to reside in my heart and hold grudges and, and remember their offense to me and make them pay, that's what I'll tend to do. Now, I might not burn their house down, but I'll end up torching something. Maybe it's their reputation as I begin to murmur to others. Maybe, maybe it's respect that I rob them of because I just have a hard time seeing any good in them anymore because of that bit of wrong that I've seen because I have chosen not to love as Christ has loved me. Follow Christ, not Cain, because hate takes. Secondly, John says in this passage, love serves. This is the contrast. This is God's choice. Verse 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. If anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So John points us back to the example of Jesus again, who literally laid down his life for those who had rebelled against him. John had written in his gospel, No greater love has this than a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. So Jesus literally laid down his life for those that hated him. That was his response to those that maligned him. He laid down his life for them. So this was all part of God's redemptive plan. It's a something that, just so you know, only Jesus could have done this. Only Jesus could fulfill the, the requirement of redemption by giving his life for those in rebellion. Don't think for a minute that John is calling you or the Holy Spirit is calling you to now redeem the world by laying your life down. That's, he's, he, but he is saying Jesus' love took action. It's not just word or deed. It's not just God saying, I love the world. That Jesus showed his love by what he did and that doing required sacrifice. It required patience and grace and mercy. Love serves. Love puts aside one's own comforts and preferences to care for the needs of others. Love 
walks in step with the Spirit, allows the Spirit to reign and rule in a life so that as opportunities to love come, you'll be ready. You'll be in the mode and the mindset of doing what Jesus would do in that situation of loving one another. Love is a verb. That's what John is saying. Love is not simply an emotion. It's a verb. It requires action and doing This is our desire in our life group ministry is that you come alongside of a group of people and you have greater access into one's life so you have more opportunities to see what needs are and you can serve one another. That in that community, you have greater access to resources to care for the needs of people that y'all know or one of you know and so that together we can have a greater impact of love in our region where God has called us. We're reading that book, Place for a Purpose. And sometimes as you read that book, you, you read it through the lens of an individual that means, okay, now I need to love my neighbor, which is true, but it can't be limited to simply I love my neighbor. It says we love our neighbors, that we are brothers and sisters together, and together we love one another, and we love and we care for the for the, for the broken and the robbed and the, the, the damaged in our, in our world. We're not going to love perfectly. There's going to be times where we fail each other. There's going to be times where you think, boy, if I was more like Jesus, I would have loved more faithfully there. And that, we pray, will we'll prompt us to continue to grow and admit that I've not arrived, I have much to learn, and I want to grow again today. I tell you, my, my heart is encouraged. I know yours is when you see this happen. My heart's encouraged when I hear of people coming alongside someone else to help them drywall because the task is overwhelming. <laughs> when, when I hear of Paul fixing brakes and replacing whatever those other parts are in a car, Right, that, that keep it from functioning and running and taking someone to work and meeting, meeting needs. When someone comes alongside of a family and watches their kids because they haven't had a break and they don't know how long. When we tangibly put action to the affection that God calls us to and we love not in word or in, uh, but in deed as well. So the way of Cain brings death, the way of Christ brings life. John's implying here that really the only way you can faithfully, you can hope to faithfully express this kind of love is if you have a love greater than yourself flowing through you. That it's the way of Jesus flowing through you. It's the person of Jesus residing in you and enabling you to love beyond what you have the capacity to love. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes it's my personality that gets in the way. That this is just how I am. It's, it's black and it's white, and they have done black, so I need to build a bridge and, or build a brittle wall and, and it's actually the gospel and it's Jesus in me that's going to ever give me the strength to build a bridge instead of that wall. That when someone hurts me, my natural inclination is to either hurt back 
or to isolate and remove and turn that cold shoulder. But it's the, only the love of Jesus that enables me to actually turn, as Jesus said, turn the other cheek, which allows us to face the person that hurt us. And it's interesting. John says, and this is how you know that you have eternal life. This is a litmus test that Christ is in you, that you're allowing him to live through you. Now, as we close, let me just say, it's not this superficial, okay, let's just go hug everybody and then we'll be loving. I mean, if it was only that simple, right? We could put a mask on, gloves on, right, and do the hug thing or fist bump or whatever. But it's not so simple. I mean, I think of that story of the woman who was going into church on a Sunday morning. It was, she goes to the, to the late service, so she's going in. And as she's approaching the church, out comes this other lady that's always given her dirty looks. And always, when she does look, is dirty and usually just turns her head away from her. And so she's coming to her, but this time, the woman sees her and comes towards her. And gives her a big hug and says, oh, it's so glad, I'm so glad you're here today. And then walks away. Like, well, that was weird. That was cool. That's great. I wonder what that's about. And so she goes to this church, right? And then closing comments from the pastor. So your assignment today is find someone you just can't stand and just give them a hug. And she says, oh, that's it, right? We're not talking about that kind of love. That's not genuine. That's not heartfelt. No, you're all going to think, who's going to shake my hand today? <laughs> right? Oh, what was I thinking? <laughs> it's a posture of the heart. And I have found it begins there. It begins in prayer. Father, change my heart. Help me to see who are those people that I've begun to other, that I've begun to put into another category? Our book last week talked about our non-neighbors, right? Who are those people that fell into the category of the people that's probably the exception to the call to love your neighbor? Who are those people? And I pray you would bless them and reward them and honor them and elevate them, expand their tent stakes of their life, bless them. And as you ask God to bless them, you'll find if Christ lives within you that you want to do the work of God and you'll find yourself blessing them also. Today's Martin Luther King Jr. weekend. And he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Let's be instruments of love to one another. Let's pray. Lord, it seems so elementary, this call to love one another, but it's the foundation. And it really matters very little what we do if there's not love. We could speak with the tongues of men and angels. We could have prophecies and do miracles. We could build nice buildings and renovate storefronts. And we, could, we could paint light posts and clean up parks and 
renovate playgrounds. But if we don't have love, it matters nothing. So Lord, I pray that you would deepen in us the heart of Jesus, that we would embrace more faithfully your love for us, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And may that love continue to transform us. May we be instruments of love this week. May we, though the world may hate us and despise us, may we be committed to loving those who abuse us. We thank you for your call. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that makes this possible. We pray for his rule and reign in our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.